Hello, family. Good to be with you uh, again this Sabbath day. Uh, I just want to take a minute and thank you again for just your generosity as a family. Uh, I was just talking with a friend in our church uh, this week, and he'd gone through some hard things financially with his work, and um, it was just such a joy to be able to say, hey, our All Souls family has contributed to a COVID relief fund, and um, that's a part of who we are. That's why it's there. It's for you. Um, so good job. That's, I think, what it means to be uh, the people of God. And uh, the, the staff, we're, we're using this phrase, life in exile, right now, is uh, to kind of capture where we are. And um, your generosity is making it possible for us to pastor uh, during the exile I was reading a book this week that talked about exile being uh, a time where we need to relinquish and receive, um, a time of grieving, but also a time of new opportunities and hope. And your giving makes it possible for us to, to create the kind of pastoral, spiritual culture where we do the work of exile. So I uh, really, really appreciate you doing that. Thank you so much. I want to do something just a little bit different um, here today. You know, normally uh, I'm talking to Christians, people who've chosen to follow Jesus. But the, today I want to address uh, those of you who might be watching that are wondering how to start the Christian journey. Um, maybe you're you know, just looking around at all the things going on and it's got you thinking about different things, thinking about spiritual things, thinking about maybe mortality, uh, maybe some of those big existential questions about what's it all about. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe you find yourself for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time wondering if if uh, the faith of Christianity might have something to say to you. Well, I, I wanted to just look at a passage of Scripture that will help us understand how you can get started on the Christian journey. Uh, many of you, of course, I know, have begun the Christian journey. This is a sermon for you, too, because it talks about the foundations of the spiritual life, and uh, a house uh, is built on its foundations, and sometimes later in the spiritual journey, we realize our house is a little wobbly, and it can be because of uh, maybe we didn't lay all the right foundations. So this is a sermon to kind of go back and Think about how you started and uh, what the foundations were for you. Well, if you want to begin understanding the Christian story, uh, you start by, uh, uh, by by looking at that story. If you want to start the Christian journey, you, you've got to spend a little time thinking about the, the story of Christianity, and uh, we call that story the gospel. Christianity gets its start on the day of Pentecost, when God gives the gift of the Spirit or his presence to the, the people that have chosen to follow Jesus, uh, they were called disciples, or later they were called the church. And we read about the birthday of the church in the book of Acts, um, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Everybody's gathered together for this big festival called Pentecost. The Spirit's poured out, and uh, the, the followers of Jesus start to, to talk about Jesus and who he is and what he's done in language that... Everybody could understand. There were many dialects present. People were just blown away, of course, and wanted to know what was happening. And so Peter, uh, the leader of the community, stands up and he gives a sermon. Peter was a Jew. He's talking mostly to Jews. And so it was framed in, 
in that kind of language. And the, 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 he, he summarizes the gospel story and goes like this. He says, Jesus, young rabbi from the village of Nazareth in the north, lived among the people, performed miracles by God's power, loved a lot of people through his life and his witness. The people of power crucified Jesus because um, Jesus threatened their power. God, though, raised Jesus from the dead, and many people saw him. Then Jesus, uh, Peter says, ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. And that's ancient language um, that describes this great mystery of, of Jesus returning to the dimension of God and sharing in his life and existence as God. And that's part of what we believe as Christians, this wonderful tension that Jesus was both fully human uh, and knows everything of what it's like to be human, but he's also fully God, um, and that he's alive and active in the world now. How is he active in the world now? Uh, through the Spirit of God, God's uh, presence, his energy, his life that uh, he's given to us so that we can have a relationship with him and join him in um, healing the world. Now, Luke says at the end of our little story here, and today we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 41. Luke says that at the end, 3,000 people received the word and became Christians. And that's one way to think about beginning the Christian journey. It's receiving the word. Um, Stories are, are very, very important. Uh, we use stories to make sense of, of the world, whether we realize it or not. The Bible story, uh, there's 66 books in, the, in our Bibles. Um, they're from uh, three different languages, 2,000 different years, several continents. But it's, it's one unified story all pointing to, to Jesus. Um, let, let me kind of summarize uh, the whole biblical story, and this is the story that's kind of behind the story Peter shares that day that everybody in his audience would have been familiar with. Four parts, four acts. Creation, God made a beautiful world, created us to enjoy a minute, joyfully serve others and every living thing on the planet. That was the beginning. Act two, fall. Human beings didn't like the idea of surrendering to God. Um, they went off and built their own world. That didn't turn out too well because we're not built to be the center of our own world. Act three, redemption. God comes to our rescue. He creates a special family, beginning with Abraham and Sarah. He promises to save, or that word means to heal, renew, rescue the world through their family. And the ultimate way that happens is through um, Jesus, who comes through that family line, whose life and death and resurrection makes it possible for us to overcome alienation from God, brought about by sin. Act four, restoration. Salvation is not just about getting souls into heaven. Uh, God wants to heal everything. One day uh, he will, and, and we get to help. So that's, that's the story here. Um, what story are you living by? Uh, a pastor from Australia named Mark Sayers uh, has this idea that the secular world um, also has a, its own version of the gospel story. It goes something like this. Um, creation. I was born with an innocent inner child. 
fall. My inner child was harmed through trauma and the limitations that society has arbitrarily imposed on me. Act three, redemption. I am saved by rediscovering my true self, having good self-esteem, and becoming happy. Act four, restoration. I'm restored when I am fully free to be who I really am, free from commitments and free from society's imposed constraints. Now, there are a lot of things in common there with the Christian story. The Christian story does talk a lot about healing and freedom, but the Christian story of freedom, uh, the freedom comes from living in right relationship with God. And, uh, and as we'll see, there really are different stories. Now, another story that Western people use to make sense of the world is, is the Enlightenment story. You're probably familiar with that. In the Enlightenment story, people overthrew the superstition of religion 500 years ago, and we've been progressing ever since. The gods of the Enlightenment story are the scientists and the economists and the politicians and the psychologists who just keep discovering newer and better ways to do things. Of course, the, the problem is that these stories aren't working anymore. They're failing. Um, and you may be sensing that. That may be why you're interested in the spiritual life. Um, something's wrong. Uh, when, when a virus shuts down the planet and kills half a million people, uh, when the wealthiest nation on earth can't get nurses and doctors face masks, when racism remains 50 years after the passage of the Civil Rights Act, when peaceful riots turn into violent riots, well, I think it's showing that the Enlightenment project, uh, the Enlightenment story, doesn't really ultimately work. It's not that scientists and doctors are bad. They're great. Thank God for them. But they won't save us. And I think a lot of people are starting to, to realize that um, uh, some of the stories that they're living by are falling apart. Well, one of the ways that you, you start the Christian journey is by changing stories. Um, Acts uh, 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So they, they heard a better story that day, and it cut them to the heart. They're undone. They're disturbed. And that's often where conversion begins. You, you begin to experience a uh, an unsettledness, a sense of, oh, this is not working. There, there, there must be a different way or something more. Verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, a whole lots of religious language there. Let's kind of slow down for a second. He says, okay, now, once you've heard a better story, the way that you begin the Christian journey is by repenting. Um, that word means to turn. And so the idea is um, changing scripts, turning from a one story to, to a better one that makes sense of the world, the gospel story. We could say it's turning from a life that revolves around yourself to a life that revolves around God. And this is this is a big, big deal. We're, we're not talking about putting a bobblehead Jesus on our pickup and, for good luck. We're not talking about sprinkling a, a little Jesus dust on our five-year strategic plan. Uh, we're talking about moving from a, 
a life where my goal is healing my inner child and doing what makes me happy to a life where my goal is loving and knowing God and caring for the planet and the people that he's made. And that life, by the way, will make you happy and heal your inner child, but in a markedly different way. Now, for those of you that have been Christians for a while, let me just remind us that the turning of repentance continues all the way along the Christian journey. The spiritual life is one of constant turning and, and readjustment. Um, let me give you an illustration. I was in a Bible study a while ago. We were talking about race, of course, and everybody is. And it's great discussion, vigorous thoughts, the causes of racism, the pain of racism, the history of racism, what what political form might look like. And then I said, all right, what's God calling you to do about racism? Um, what, what changes might you make in your personal life? And it was interesting, the conversation got much quieter then. Um, because sometimes I think it's, it's hard to actually think about or know what repentance looks like. What it, 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 it's kind of easy to watch something about the Minneapolis Police Department, but what about me? What about you? What needs to change? That's repentance is if, if as many seem to be, you become aware of the sin of racism in a deeper way, well, what's actually going to change beyond my Facebook posts? Dr. Jeffrey Pappas is the director of the School of Music at the University of Tennessee, and this whole racial piece has cut him to the heart. And as a faithful Christian, he wants to align his life with God's redemptive story. And he began to pray, well, how do I turn? How do I uh, adjust? And he wrote a letter and posted it on the School of Music webpage. And here's just a couple of lines from it, and it's uh, the whole thing's worth reading. But he says, as 2020 churns on to be a year none of us will forget, quite frankly, COVID-19 is not our only virus. We are again in the midst of another virus, one that has been around much longer than COVID-19. Systemic racism must stop. We already have a vaccine for it, and it is found in the hearts of everyone around us. We must choose to allow it to work. We need to do more. As of today, I will begin forming a task force comprised of students, faculty, and community leaders to lead us in initiatives that go beyond the traditional concert hall and outside our classrooms. That's repenting, it's turning. It's being cut to the heart that part of your life uh, is not fully in alignment with the story of God's will and then adjusting. Well, then Peter says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So we start with repentance and baptism. Bat baptism, the Greek word means to dip or immerse. Uh, you would dip cloth into dye and the dye would take on the property, or rather the cloth would take on the property of the dye. Uh, when we're baptized, we're saying that, that we're immersing ourselves fully into the name, the life, the authority, the way of Jesus, and taking on the properties of his life. Uh, powerful symbolism here. Jesus died, went under the earth, rose again. In baptism, we go under the water. We die to our old way of life. We, we rise up out of the water. We rise with him to a new way of life. Uh, it's also a ritual through which we join a community. It's not something you do by yourself. It's baptism into the body of Christ or the church or the family of God. 
we do it with our bodies. You get wet with your friends. And that's something very interesting about Christianity. It's what we say is we're an embodied religion. We do stuff with our bodies because we believe it affects our souls. Um, so we eat bread and wine together. And um, when we can, we uh, hug each other or lay hands on each other and pray for each other. We we believe the body's good and that we kneel when we pray and we fast and that somehow we can use our body to actually nourish our souls. Um, there's also kind of a mystical dimension to baptism. If if you just Google verses on baptism in the New Testament and you read them, you'll, you'll kind of get the feel that there's more going on here than just a, a ritual or symbolism, that something's happening spiritually. Um, then Peter says, you know, when, when you repent and are baptized, your sins are forgiven. Now, uh, I don't know if, if you are, are listening to this because you have this burning need to have your sins forgiven. Um, 500 years ago, uh, even 30 years ago, a lot of people were wondering, how can I have my sins forgiven by a holy God? I don't find a lot of people asking that question today. Um, but I, does that mean that we don't need forgiveness anymore? I don't think so. I think we've just relocated the problem. Um, today, the, the dominant existential feelings people have are anxiety, depression, alienation, um, meaninglessness. And I think the reason why is because we are cut off from the source of life and meaning, God. I think we feel anxious and alienated because we're disconnected from our spiritual home, God. The Bible uses the word sin to describe that disconnection. Uh, and it talks about sin as like a debt that needs to be paid for uh, in order for us to be kind of restored and, and made right with this uh, wonderful, beautiful, holy God. Well, when, when the Bible talks about forgiving sin, what it's saying is that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has paid our debt and solved the problem of our alienation from God, that we're forgiven, restored to God, that the source of life and peace and meaning has been returned to us. Now, Peter also says that we receive this gift when we start the Christian journey, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what kind of gift is that? Well, this, this I don't know, this may be my favorite part. Um, the Spirit is God's personal power and presence. Now, imagine that you have a friend who's going away for a long trip, and, and you uh, stand at their driveway, and you say your goodbyes, and, and you say, uh, you know, let's stay in touch. You'll be in my heart the whole way. Is that what the gift of the Spirit is like? Um, is that what the what he's trying to communicate? No, actually not. Um, the gift of the Spirit is a lot more than that. Uh, the, the gift of the Spirit is God actually sharing with us his life energy. You actually get to participate in the life of God. Um, Jesus talks about it as abiding, remaining, resting, or dwelling in his very life. That's what we're talking about here, sharing in the very life of God. Now, this isn't quite perfect illustration, but imagine if uh, when that RV pulls out of the driveway and your friend is leaving and you say, wait, um, actually, I'm going with you. Uh, I'm going on the trip with you. That's actually more of what God does with us as he goes with us. Now, um, those of you that are Christians, just it's easy to forget this, isn't it, about the gift of the Spirit? 
Um, and it's not good when we forget it. Uh, I, I've been reading this um, book called uh, Theologians Under Hitler. It's about three German Protestant theologians, Orthodox, conservative, uh, Bible-loving, who all wound up enthusiastically supporting Hitler. And the, the author is trying to find out how did that happen? One of the things that he found is that religion in Germany by the mid-20th century had become so heady, so much about abstract systems, uh, that they just had dropped any sense of the spirit of intimacy, um, of mystery. Uh, and and it, it, it just became easier to topple and be swept over by the hysteria of the moment. Um, and I think that's a warning to us that when when our faith becomes just about head and doctrine and belief, as important as that is, but not spirit, um, we our house starts to, to, to shudder. And so you might just step back and ask, when was the last time you unwrapped the gift of the Holy Spirit? What, um, and, and have you kind of made that downward trajectory towards just sort of a, a grim wooden moralism or a heady intellectual faith? If you have, repent and uh, spend a little time at Pentecost. Well, then Peter says, For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Well, you, you may be wondering, you may be uh, thinking, why am I listening to this? How did I get here? Um, maybe you'd written off religion, God, Christianity is not relevant for today. So what on earth is going on in you that you're listening to this? Um, well, you're being called. God is calling you, drawing you, inviting you home. Now, we can resist this call of God. Uh, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Why would Peter have to um, exhort and plead and woo and argue and all of why? Why? Well, it's because it's hard to repent. It's it's hard to turn. It's hard to change scripts. There, there is a dark part of the human heart. Again, the Bible would call this sin that likes being the center of the universe that does not want to surrender to a higher, even better power. Um, and as uh, our Christian listeners can attest, uh, can be easy over the years to stop surrendering and to just go back to a fairly secular life. So the reason why preachers urge us to, to turn is because part of it doesn't want to. <laughs> uh, I bet you want to, though. Uh, I bet you want to. Well, let me end with this. Dr. Dean Ornish wrote a book called Change or Die, and he found that 80% of heart patients when, when we're told, look, if, if you don't change your habits, uh, if you go back to your old way of life, you're going to die that uh, 80% of them went back to their old habits and died. But then he began taking a different approach with his heart patients. And he said, all right, let's imagine life with a healed heart. I want you to have a vision of what your life will be, your new life will be like. Um, do you want to move towards that vision? Well, then he found that 70% of his patients made the changes necessary to move towards that new vision.
Now, sometimes people think when becoming a Christian means giving up a bunch of stuff, keeping a lot of rules, and um, friend, that is not it at all. The Christian journey is a journey of hope. It's a journey of meaning. It, it really is kind of like a, a pilgrimage towards God. I mean, that that is really what the Christian life is about. It's going home. Um, we were built to be in relationship with love, God, and that's the journey. And as we're on the pilgrimage, we get to share love with those that are around us. That's kind of the whole. It's kind of the whole story. Um, so um, that's what we're inviting you to do. So please join us. We'd love to have you.